0: Going through a, a very tough time in life. Uh, this was almost 15 years ago now. We um, I mean, struggled with uh, several um, uh, serious events, and it was about the time that uh, that Sonya and I were moving back uh, to the islands. Uh, we had been living in Chicago and then Boston, and we were uh, settling here. Um, Sonia was pregnant with our first child. Uh, her father was sick and convalescing from uh, heart surgery. And we come back to the island, and uh, one of the things that you used to have to do when you came back to the island is you have to put your dog in quarantine. Uh, these days, there's a, there's a cooler system, uh, largely because a great number of us agitated to change the system back in the day. Uh, but when you, when you brought animals over, they'd have to live in a cage uh, for, it used to be four months, Uh, And then it sort of whittled down to one month if you did everything exactly right Uh, We had a dog who's kind of elderly and and try as we might he he got incarcerated uh, for a month when we came Um, And uh, so every day I was uh, sitting in his cage with him from uh, 9 to 5 during the opening open hours of of the kennel it was a terrible situation. I mean, dogs would die in there and stuff like that. It was really, really nasty and oppressive if, if, you, if you're into dogs, if you're a dog lover. This is a terrible example of bureaucratic governmental injustice. Uh, and I was very, very angry about it. I was just super angry about it. Uh, my dog was my best friend. Well, I mean, Jesus was my, well, my wife kind of too. But my dog <laughs> was super, super important. <coughs> Plus, all this other stuff was going on, and I found myself, as is often the case when I get stressed, just seething, angry for days on end. Uh, that's my, that's my go to. And there's, uh, uh, is, for people whose go to is anger and seething and stuff like that, there's a name for those sorts of people. We call them men. <laughs> so that's kind of what we do. Um, And and I just found it getting really debilitating and spiritually debilitating. So I developed at that time uh, what has become a practice for me. Do you have any practices in your life? Well, this is a practice for me. Uh, what, What I had determined in the course of decades of walking with Jesus is that the antidote to anger is thankfulness. You'd think that the antidote to anger would be like, I don't know, peaceful meditation or something. But I find the antidote to anger is thankfulness. So every morning I would do what I called my hundred thankfuls. And, and I couldn't pray because I was so angry. And in truth, I was also angry at God uh, during this season of my life because I felt like he wasn't keeping up his end of the deal. Um, I couldn't, couldn't really pray straight. So what I would do is I would confess to him every morning a hundred things that I was thankful for. And I would just start. Good morning, God. I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful that we have enough to eat. You know, I'd get to. I'm thankful for this comfortable pair of shoes. I'm thankful that um, you know I have toothpaste for proper hygiene. I, I would just go the first hundred things that came to to my head. Uh, I would be thankful for and then the next day. I would do it again and the next day. I would do it again and, and uh, after a, after a, a few weeks of this I, I was I was back you know, I was really firing on all cylinders and I stopped counting to a hundred. I would just go uh, Until I was sure that I had um, passed uh, 100 I just needed some kind of practice to help. I mean, I knew I wasn't supposed to be angry at God. I knew as a spiritual giant that I wasn't supposed to be despondent and seething for days on end. I just needed a practice to kind of work it out. You know what I'm talking about? So a hundred thankfuls. Everybody think of five things that you're thankful for right now and speak them out loud. It's going to be painful for some of you. One, two, three, go. All right. Was that painful for anyone? If it was painful for you, it's because you're in one of those seething moods uh, that can dominate you. Well, that was just a long-winded illustration to talk about practices that we have in life, because we have values, we have desires, we we have intentions. We have impressions that we want to make real, impressions of how we want to be, but we all need a practice. We all need practices. We need ways of regularly practicing certain actions in order to make things real. You need a practice. Otherwise, our values, our good intentions, our hopeful impressions, they never become real. They never count, and time goes by, and time goes by, and we just never really grow, and we never really move as we're supposed to move. So what are your practices in life? That's uh, uh, one topic of today. What are your practices in life? Because by and large, we are what we practice in life. We are what we do regularly in life by and large. If we're physically fit, it's because we have a way of practicing exercise. If you don't have a way of practicing exercise regularly, then I guarantee you, you're not physically fit. It comes down to the practice. But also, uh, we tend to think what we practice thinking. Did you know that? You think along the lines that you practice thinking along. If you think in a certain direction or in a certain way regularly, it's very hard for you to think in a different way. So what you say as a reflection of what you think becomes very powerful in your own life. It's sort of a self-fulfilling sort of things. We act in the ways that we practice acting. If you have kids, you try to get your kids to practice good actions. Say thank you. Say please. Say hello. Say goodbye politely stuff like that if you're really good it's like clean your room we are strong in the things that we practice we are weak in the things that we don't practice have you ever learned a foreign language uh, when you start to learn a foreign language particularly uh, if you're adult the very sounds of that language seem impossible for your mouth to make have you noticed that it's like, I, that's, it's not even natural, I can't even make that sound come out of my mouth, but there are hordes of native speakers for whom it is automatic. What's the difference? Practice, that's the only difference. You got the same muscles, you got the same apparatus, it's just a matter of practice. Joy is a practice, faith is a practice, depression is a practice, fear is a practice. And if you have these things in your life, it's because you have found ways to practice these things in your life. So what do you practice day to day? It's just a very important question. We all have challenges. We all have deficits that come to us. Uh, The way over and through them boils down most of the time to what we practice. You could complicate that. It's not a... Holistic thing that I'm saying, but it's an important and fundamental thing that I'm saying. Examine the ways that you go about your weekdays, especially. Do you practice? Peace? Do you practice anxiety? A lot of us practice anxiety on a daily basis. Do you practice? Complaint You get really good at it if you do it every day Do you practice evangelism? Do you practice foot dragging? Do you practice eagerness? Do you practice health and fitness? Do you practice isolation? Do you practice anger? Do you practice thankfulness? And and today, uh, specifically what I wanna talk about is the practice of prayer and scripture, uh, which is something that we've already talked about in this sermon series that we're doing on practical life lessons uh, from the Bible. Uh, In this sermon series, we've talked about uh, the, uh, the practice of, of redemption, right, which is uh, a transformative exercise. Redemption is not just like redemption of your souls unto heaven, but it's redemption of bad things that happen or bad states that you get in. The power of redemption is cycling through our lives, through all of our experiences all the time if we, if we let it hold on to it and practice it. Uh, the practice of confession is something that we've talked about in this sermon series. The practice of keeping good company. You have to have a a tribe of try. You have to have a tribe of faith around you. Or you'll get sucked into practices uh, that are counter faith, that are counter trying. Uh, Forgiveness is a super important practical lesson that the Bible uh, teaches us. Uh, the practice of joy or enjoyment. The practice of enjoyment is something that I kind of suck at, so I have to be very intentional about how I practice it. And the practice of prayer and the practice of Bible reading. We learn that if you pray relentlessly, if you pray faithfully for someone, then you will always get from God something along the lines of what you're praying for. It might not be exactly what you pray for, but it will be in the general direction. It won't be exactly what you pray for because it's not always good for you to get exactly what you pray for and God is smarter. But, but the blessing will come uh, in that direction. But perhaps more importantly, if you pray regularly, if you have a practice of prayer, if you pray consistently, then you won't have faith crises. Prayer is that thing that keeps our faith alive day to day so that when the shocks come, we aren't blown away by it. A person of consistent prayer, by and large in my experience, just doesn't have those terrible faith crises crises. They remain strong and they remain resilient. If you're in a faith crisis right now, being a serious one, uh, you've probably abandoned the practice of consistent prayer uh, in one way, shape, or form. Um, If you read the Bible regularly, then it keeps you from doing stupid things. Uh, Regular Bible reading is sort of uh, an inoculation of obedience, resilient obedience uh, in your life. Earlier this year, we talked about uh, the difference between teaching and coaching. I don't know if you guys remember that. How many of you do remember that? How many of you remember, like, last week's sermon? That's not too bad. Uh, Well, we had uh, a couple of sermons early in the year where we talked about the difference between teaching and coaching. Teaching is actually the easier part. You know, as an instructor, I can teach truths from the Bible, no problem. What's really hard and far more important is coaching. You think of a coach, like a football coach. Uh, I grew up playing football. You teach the rules, you teach the techniques, you teach the skills, but that doesn't make you a great football player. What makes you a great football player? Practicing. And what the coach does is he or she stands next to you and drills you and reminds you and makes you do the same thing over and over again to the point of exhaustion until it becomes automatic and then it can become excellent in you. Well, spiritual life is like that as well. We need good teachers in our life, but we also need good coaches to drill us, to make us go through the motions until we get the hang of it. And in a good community of faith, we all kind of help coach each other. Hey, let's practice. Let's do this thing together until we get it wired. Ultimately, culture is the best coach, and culture is sort of a a bundle of expectations and, and, and methods that we all kind of do automatically without even thinking about it anymore. I want a coaching culture. I want a culture in which everybody is coaching each other to repeatedly, consistently do that which we already know to do, to live up to our instruction, to live up to the truths that that, uh, we believe in. Coaching and culture are both a matter of practice. So today, I wanna do a little coaching exercise. And I wanna do a little coaching exercise on, on Bible reading. And I want to do a little coaching exercise on prayer. Let's coach ourselves. Let's practice a sort of practice. Are you with me? One third of you are with me. One third of you will be bored out of your minds. Oh, hey, look. Leon found me a Coke with my name on it. It's apropos of nothing. But it was there. And I've given you time to find your bulletin because... Today's scripture is on it. You will need that bulletin. How many of you don't have one? We have a big stack over there. Joseph will grab a bundle of them. If he can find them. We'll make sure that everybody gets a bulletin. The scripture will also be up on the big screen. This is what we're going to do. I have selected a chunk of Scripture from the Gospel of Mark, the end of chapter 5, the beginning of chapter 6. And we're going to read through it. Uh, we'll read through it together first. And then we're going we're to practice Scripture reading, sort of interacting with Scripture in a way that I think anybody could do uh, any day. Uh, and after we read it, I'm going to ask you um, <clears throat> three questions about the Scripture. And then you're going to talk about it in groups of uh, five or six. That's the plan. That's the plan. Everybody ready? Can we do this? All right. Here we go. Everybody say amen. Amen. Everybody say chihu. Chihu. From Mark chapter 5. This is a story of Jesus has just just arrived via boat uh, to this place. And the crowds are pressing around him. Uh Jairus, who's kind of an important local official, has approached him because his little daughter is dying. Uh, but on his way to help Jairus' daughter, Jesus gets interrupted by a woman, has to heal the woman. Uh, that goes really, really well. But while Jesus was speaking, some came, people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, and said, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? So, ah, Jesus didn't get there in time. The girl died. Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw commotion and people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but only asleep but they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. And he took her by the hand and said to her talithakum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. In other words, she wasn't so little that she couldn't walk. At this, they were completely astonished And he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. What a good uncle. Jesus left there and went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. And when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him. What are all these remarkable miracles we hear he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? This is, this is our homie. We've known him his whole life. Where does he get off doing these super spiritual things? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town among his own relatives and in his own home. And he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. And then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. I want you to get into groups of five or six, and I want you to think about this passage. You've just read it. It took us about two minutes. Here are some questions for you. What is it about, generally speaking? What's the passage about? If you had to give this stretch of passage, these two little stories, a theme, what would it be about? Don't be specific. You know, we're not gonna do a word study on the Greek word for amazed. Just kind of, what is it about, generally? What's going on here? What, is, what point is the author drumming into us? And then secondly, what bugs you about the passage? When we are interacting with scripture, I think this is the most important questions we can ask ourselves. Have you noticed that scripture is actually a little provocative? That's how it's written. That's why it's written. The gospels especially. Whenever you get a story about Jesus, there's always something in it that bugs you, or there should be if you read it honestly. So read through this passage. I'm like, what, what bugs you about this passage? When you do your five minutes of scripture reading uh, every morning, if that's the practice that you choose, read it and then ask yourself, what bugs me about this? Because if something bothers you, you are poised to learn something. If something bothers you, you have to ask a question. And then finally, how can you apply the passage? That's it. What's the passage about in big strokes? What bugs you about it? Any ideas about how you might apply it to your life? Circle up. Circle up. This is coaching. This is practice. Go ahead. Turn your chairs around if you need to. Mess things up. Excellent job. Way to go. A five-minute exercise on scripture reading. Everybody say hoo Well done. Anybody break a sweat because of the exercise? Anybody break a sweat because we are in an insufferably stuffy gym? Yes. All right. We are here. We are together. It is wondrous. Let's answer a few questions now. What was this passage of scripture about generally? Somebody tell me. Shout it out. Faith. Faith. It was about faith. Good call. That's what I would have said. T- I'm sorry? You had another one. Jesus doing kingdom work even when rejected. As in the first story, he gets laughed at. And in the, the second story, he just gets totally dissed by his homies. Uh, rejected. Uh, but but, uh, but he, he managed that. He persisted it. He persisted again. So you can say he persisted in faith. Um, I think uh, saying it's about faith is a good way to approach it. In fact, uh, for those of you who are taking up my invitation last week and studying the Gospel of Mark, faith is the big theme of the Gospel of Mark. You get it in almost every passage. So I would say something like, oh, this is generally about faith and the weird ways Jesus deals with it or the lack of it, as the case may be. Excellent. We're going to get a lesson on faith today. What bugs you about this passage? What bugs you? You read it and you're like, ah, that's weird. What bugs you about this passage? Uh, Somebody tell me something. It bugs you that people would reject Jesus uh, because he seems like a pretty non-rejectionable guy. I mean, Jesus, right? He was probably a cool dude to be around. Yeah, all right. Why does he tell people she's asleep because she's dead? I mean, what, what's the deal with that? Yeah, that, that bugs me. Why? And, and on a broader level, why, why can't he just speak obviously? You know, why, why can't he just say, oh, she's dead, but don't worry, I'm going to resurrect her. But he doesn't go that way, does he? This constantly bugs me about Jesus. The dude is never just obvious and straightforward. Yeah, anybody else got one? Jeff. So in both stories, Jesus encounters a group of people who don't have faith, right? In the first story, the people who are mourning for the girl, they actually laugh at him. So, you know, a, a potent manifestation of cynicism. And in the second story, his hometown people are like, where do you get off being all uppity and being all rabbinical and miracle-worky and stuff like that? And in the first story Jesus manages to pull off the miracle and in the second story he, he, he doesn't. He doesn't get any fireworks in his hometown. So what explains the difference? Quick answer? Anyone? There was some faith in, in the first story. evidently. He pulled it off. What I like in the first story is that when Jesus encounters the cynics, he kicks their butts out. And so he was able to manage his faith environment in a nice way. I also appreciate in the first story how on the way to resurrected dead girl, he says, all right, everybody, no fear, just believe. Do not be afraid which I think is probably why he said, oh, she's sleeping, is because he didn't want to give a window for people to panic and despair. He said, do not freak out. That will just ruin the whole game. Don't freak out. And it was hard for him to kick out his whole hometown in the second story. But either way, you see him struggling with the faith environment, which is really interesting that even Jesus would have to go out of his way to create a tribe of faith, a tribe of try around him in order to pull off big miracles. How much more important for us to have positive faith-filled people around us and to do what we need to do uh, to construct faith environments for ourselves in order to make progress in life. Yeah, anything else bug you about these passages? Why does Jesus do these amazing things and then tell people not to share the story? Does that bug anybody? He, As, as a marketer goes, I, he sucks. He just doesn't get it, right? I mean, if you resurrected somebody, the first thing you would do is post it on Facebook, am I right? <laughs> there, there'd be video, there'd be an emoji involved, you know. Uh, uh, but Jesus is like, shh, don't tell anybody. What do you think is up with that? I said, uh, my answer to what do we think this... Uh, this passage of Scripture is about. And I go, well, faith and the weird ways Jesus deals with it. He manages it. Like there's something really weird going on here. It's like he, he wants to keep experiences a little bit contained so that when he goes to the next place, people have a free and clear, independent choice whether they're going to believe or not. He doesn't, want, he doesn't want it to become just sort of the thing to do. There are probably other reasons as well, uh, but that's what jumps out at me when I read the Gospel of Mark. All of these are great interactions. Uh, let me ask, uh, how, how might you apply this to life? You're gonna have to talk really loud if you answer. How are you gonna apply this to life? I cannot hear you. <laughs> Remember that what you think you know may not be right. I have. I have that, in, that uh, conclusion almost every time I read a Jesus story. Uh, even now, after decades and decades of reading them. It's like, man, he does things that are weird and surprising. Uh, what else? How might you apply this? Don't keep God in a box, which is sort of a, a, a positive application of this point right here. It's like, no, he's going to screw with you if you do. Bear. See fearful situations as an opportunity for faith. I mean, clearly Jesus did. A tragedy happens. I mean, a little girl has died. A little girl has died in a family that was counting on you to help. And Jesus doesn't freak. He says, ah, well, we just have a deeper opportunity now, don't we? And not only does he keep his own positive expectation up, his own faith up, but he inspires everyone around him to do the same. The dude was cool. He, he he was committed to faith and not fear. Never fear. That boy, I mean that that is infinitely applicable, I think, to life. Yeah. Anyone else have? How might you apply this to life? Yeah, Elton? Elton's pointing at Arwen. <laughs> you're outing your Yeah. Don't look at someone and think God can't use them. I, I like that, there's creativity, because you're putting, you're putting yourself in the place of Jesus' hometown folks. And it's like, Jesus probably didn't look all that impressive. Every scripture we have uh, about his appearance and manner sort of suggests that. He didn't look like a super righteous hero dude. He just raised people from the dead, that's all. Uh, and so there was a temptation to judge even Jesus So there's going to be temptation for us to judge people uh, who are like Jesus and never think that God can't use somebody just because of the way they strike you at first. Yeah, that's a great application point. One last one. Don't limit people to their past, which is just that but a finer point. They they knew Jesus from the time he was uh, a snotty-nosed kid, and their image of him was never updated. And so he's still this naughty nosed kid uh, instead of being this powerful minister. Um, Yeah, my my application point would be something like always have a posture of faith in life in the midst of fear or tragedy or rejection uh, or cynicism. Your posture of faith, my posture of faith should never change. Uh, And you know, faith is an attitude. Uh, And Jesus does everything he can to make his faith attitude contagious. Uh, Another application point I have from the story is uh, feeling offended kills faith. You know, the mourners were offended by Jesus. His hometown people, it says very specifically, got offended. We have a saying at Blue Waters, leaders can never get offended. If you're going to lead any ministry, any group at, at Blue Water, then job one is you can never get offended by the people. You can never get offended by an opinion or an expression. If you do, boom! You are out of the game. Chaos has you by the throat. You're done. Your faith is is offline as soon as you get offended. And uh, and Jesus was a master at not getting offended. He was occasionally treated rather poorly. There are two instances right here, and and he never got offended. He said, well, I'm just going to do something good as as much as I can. Maybe I only get to heal a few sick people today, but, you know, I'm going to keep doing my thing. Uh, The people who get offended by Jesus miss out on what Jesus is doing. Uh, If you get offended by someone, you will miss out on the good things that God has put in them, etc., etc. Fill in the blank. Let's do this exercise together, shall we? I was reading about and it made me think about, so you all just read this passage, uh, or uh, you listened as I read it to you, you all went through it together, so think about this. Hey, I was reading about, and it made me think, how would you fill in those blanks? Take a minute and think about it. Yeah, I was reading about, and it's made me think, All right, let's share some answers. Who has one? I was reading about, and it made me think, someone we haven't heard from. Big brownie points in heaven, if you participate. I was reading about what? I was reading about Jesus healing some folks, and I was thinking, do I limit him? Brilliant. 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 Somebody got another one? I was reading I was reading about Yeah. I was reading about going home. And will I be able to do any good there? Even Jesus had a hard time doing good and being free when he went home. Brilliant. Love it. One more? Yeah. Yeah, so to paraphrase, I was reading about Jesus getting rejected by by his family and his home situation, uh, and that made you think about how you get rejected, uh, limited, criticized by your own family, home situation, but you still pursue faith just like Jesus did. Yeah, potent. I think, and I I shared this a little bit last week when we first started talking about reading the Bible regularly, that if you can do that sentence, if you can read a piece of scripture, and then say a sentence like that. Well, I was, reading about, I was reading about Jesus healing a dead girl. I was reading about Jesus going to his hometown and trying to minister, whatever it is that you were reading about. I was reading about David building the temple. I was reading a section of Paul's epistle to the Corinthians about how to do church, whatever it is that you're reading. And it made me think about if you can do that on a daily basis, you are a person of scripture. You are a person of the Bible if you can do that. As long as you can do that, you're doing fine. There are other ways to study the Bible. There are, you know, other ways to get deeper in Scripture, but that's kind of our goal as people of Scripture. Everybody say, yes! I think I understand. All right, we've got like uh, 10 minutes. Let's do a prayer exercise, shall we? This is about practicing Scripture, and it's about practicing prayer. Everybody roll your shoulders. Everybody get in a posture of prayer. One, two, three, go. That was just an experiment I was doing. Why does, nobody, why does nobody get up and go like this? I don't know. But it's not like this. I don't know. I have this thing. Don't cower when you pray. Assume a posture of faith when you pray. If you walked up to me and said, oh, Jordan, and I might just have trouble communicating with you. There you go. The rabbis only stood when they prayed. I think James probably knows this. Alright, here's the prayer exercise. We're going to do three minutes of prayer. Here's your assignment. One, pray about God. Two, pray about your world. Three, pray about you. One, pray about God. Two, pray about your world. Three, pray about you. And that essentially is the pattern of the Lord's prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thank you. You're awesome. You're great. Let me know what's on your heart. That's praying about God. Then pray about your world. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I say about your world because we all experience the world differently. We're all thinking about different things. Maybe you need to bless uh, the person in the seat next to you. Maybe you need to bless, bless your friends at work. Maybe you need to uh, pray for what's going on in Charlottesville and more recently Boston, whatever it is um, pray for your world and then pray for you um, uh, give us this day our daily bread uh, forgive me my sins uh, leave me not in a temptation, uh, give me what I need so that I don't screw up and I keep going in the right way, let's all pray for you pray about God, pray about your world pray about you take a deep breath you got three minutes, go Uh, for how many of you was that a, felt like a fairly significant exercise yeah uh, for how many of you was that the first time you prayed today this week um, so that was the three-minute exercise uh, maybe a little bit longer uh, with with the listening and there you go you are now practiced up you have been coached and you have been drilled pat yourselves on the back Pat the back of the person next to you. And if you're visiting today and wondering, yes, we're, we're typically this awkward. Uh, I just wanted to give everybody uh, a real time, in real life, practice session with scripture and prayer. And I wanted to encourage you to make that part of your day, otherwise our instruction about scripture and prayer really ends up being meaningless and fruitless in your life. What is your practice in life? What are your practices in life? That's a great self-inventory question to ask yourself. Uh, and, and praying and scripture are super helpful practices. Uh, I, want to, uh, I want to assure you that regularity beats intensity in these practices. It is more important that you practice daily and that you binge on scripture and and prayer. There are times when I just need to take an afternoon and read an entire piece of scripture or you know I'll do a retreat uh, or a whole day of prayer or something like that. Sure, but what we're talking about here is just getting it into your diet regularly. That's really what defines the art of practice. So, um, you know, we, we turned a five-minute scripture exercise into about 13 or 14 minutes, but trust me, you could do that exercise in five minutes. And then we did a three or four-minute prayer exercise. You know, 10 minutes. 10 minutes a day makes for a regular practice. Now, from time to time, the Lord will lead you to deepen your experience of scripture or to deepen your experience of prayer. But but no need to be a monk on day one. Regularity is what we're after. You know, God makes stuff possible for us and you can do a lot with a little um, as long as you do it faithfully and relentlessly. Chaos will try to convince you, Satan might try to convince you that you don't have the time or the energy or that the practice is too limited to be worth it. Those are all lies that will come against you, so let's just agree right now to reject them. The truth is, no one workout, no one Bible session, no one prayer session will uh, will be uh, worth it on its own, but eight weeks of it, a year of it, if you're trying to get in shape physically, going to the gym once will not do the trick. But if you go to the gym regularly for eight weeks, you will have noticeable change. If you go to the gym regularly for a year, your body will be entirely different. No one day is worth it on its own. And so the discipline comes today. You know, We have to convince yourself to keep the, to keep the streak going. Um, I know a lot of you have creative uh, uh, Bible reading. i was going to KO over here. Are you still listening to the audio Bible when you drive to work? Yeah, that's the way he does it. And then I know that he's a person of Scripture because every few weeks he comes to me and says, I was listening to something in Scripture and it really bugged me. I have a question and we'll talk about it. Perfect. That's great. Uh, He uses his commute constructively. Um, And... uh, You know, you you can do that as well. It's never been easier to get your dose of Scripture uh, daily. Just read enough to get bugged. What I'm going to suggest to you is five and five. Everybody say five and five. Do five minutes of Scripture a day and five minutes of prayer. The Lord may well lead you to expand that, but do five and five. Make that your regular practice, and then you're creating in your life a way for it to be something more we are what we practice. Fill in uh, this, this line for me, you regular blue waters. Discipleship is... And volume. Discipleship is... There we go. Discipleship is, is follow through. And in life, we largely are what we practice regularly. Um, practical life lessons learned and executed consistently is the way forward. Uh, You may have experienced this sermon today and thought, well, Jordan was just lazily and he didn't want to come up with anything to preach about, so he made us do exercises. That may or may not be true. Uh, But really what this was is a sermon on making things practical and real in your life. And I don't care what it is, that's the key. Follow through is the key to moving forward. If you want to be a person of prayer, if you want to be a person of scripture, if you want to be a person of personal growth, if you want to be a person of evangelism, if you want to be a person of joy, if you want to be a person of power and influence in any way, it's how you practice it daily that counts. Let's pray.